And what, what, what is happening here is that Vashti, um, she's, she's left, and now, and now he's, he's bringing on, and she's going to be bringing on another queen to take her place, to take her place. And that's how this all starts. And it's important to note there is that the king, although he's in control, you have to remember some things, because remember, God is in control, right? And so if you go to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, this is what's important about the word of God, is that when you're going through circumstances, you have to kind of read between the lines and understand what God's doing in the background. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. Because <clears throat> you're going to see that this circumstance kind of comes out of nowhere. It seems very coincidental. It says, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. In the book of Daniel, it would say that God sets up kings and he casts down kings, okay? Um, you have to realize that no matter how bad it is and who's in leadership, who's in rule, and that could be on a, uh, you know, a country level, a nation level, a federal level, whatever. It, God is putting all things in, 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 in his, for his purpose, for his design. He has it all orchestrated to, to meet his will and his needs. So you have to remember God is in control. He's either in control of everything or he's in control of absolutely nothing. All right? And so to skip ahead in our story here in the book of Esther, <clears throat> Esther is chosen to replace Queen Vashti. Let's go back to Esther real quick. I got you flipping all over the place. I'm going to try to be mindful of the time as well. I want to give my brother Josh enough time because he's going to need it. All right. And it says here that um, now they're, they're starting to look in Esther chapter 2 um, for this new queen. It says in verse 4, let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti, and the king pleased the king, uh, the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, a Benjamin, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away from Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And so um, you see here that Esther, um, verse 7, and he brought up Hadessah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. And so the king is bringing all these maidens, all these women, throughout, from, from the, the town of Shushan, who's the capital of Persia, to basically, you know, interview for, you know, this new position of queen. And so, you know, Esther was among uh, all these women here. Uh, she, was, she was prepared, just like all these others, to come present herself. Um, if, you go to, uh, if you go to Proverbs chapter 16, 33, and in Proverbs 21, 31, you know, again, trusting that the Lord is in control of that circumstance is key, because you can prepare yourself in so many different ways um, to, you know, to, to whatever it is, to whatever outcome you're trying to get, you know, it doesn't matter. God has got to deliver that thing to you. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says that the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Proverbs 21, verse 31, we were just in 21, we'll go to verse 31, it says, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, you, you can do all the things you need to get done. You could, you could have everything checked out, planned out. It doesn't mean you don't plan at all, Okay. Um, but you have to remember that the Lord is the one who's in control. He is the one who's going to deliver you in whatever that circumstance is, okay? You know, just a personal example, you know, a couple of months ago, I mentioned that I, I had to change a job, and I interviewed, you know, to a bunch of different places. I put my Sunday best on. I had, you know, I didn't have a tie because that's not, you know, COVID, post-COVID, you know, it's no ties now. But, uh, you know, I had, I had a jacket on, you know, I had a button-down shirt, I had some khakis, whatever. And, you know, you interview, you, do, you put your best foot forward, you know, you do what you need to do. But at the end of the day, you have to commit that thing to the Lord and know that he knows what he's doing, and he knows what's best for you. Maybe it's not right for you to get that job, whatever it is, get that blessing that you're looking for. You need to commit that thing and pray in the way that, you know, God, if you want this, if this is what you want for me, if this is for your purpose, if this is going to be a blessing, then that's what I want. That's what, that's what you need. That's how you need to pray. Realizing that God is in control of, of everything and you need to allow him to have control of those things. Um, let me go to my next note here. So that's the background, the circumstance. Esther's now put into this uh, position of queen now, <clears throat> and we skip around, we're going to go to Esther chapter 3, you know, you might get a blessing, God might give you something or put you somewhere, 
But I guarantee you that trouble is not far away. Don't think that you're ever so high on that mountaintop that no one can get to you. Uh, Go to Esther chapter 3, verse 8. It says, And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, Now Haman, and there's a lot of pictures in the book of Esther, and Haman, you know, is a, is, a, is a type and a picture of the Antichrist. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king to, king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charge of the business to bring, into, bring it into the king's treasuries. And so again, remember the book of Job. God allowed some circumstances to come up into Job's life. Now, God knew those circumstances. He, in fact, allowed those circumstances. And you have to remember here, and reading the book of Esther, God's not mentioned, but you know, from the things that you've learned about in the word of God, in your circumstance, you need to realize, hey, God's going to allow to Haman to come into your life, maybe. God's going to allow circumstances to come up in your life. God's going to allow sometimes, you know, your kids to get sick. God allowed my pastor. I don't understand why God allowed my pastor to have a, you know, a Christian get leukemia. I don't, I don't understand that. But God is going to allow some circumstances to occur that might, that might not seem to be your benefit. They just might not. And that's okay. You don't have to understand it. And you don't have to be thankful always for those things either. You know, we'll get, I'm going to get into that in a little bit. And uh, in Esther chapter 7, verse 6, to kind of go back, uh, <clears throat> and it says, uh, Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman is a picture, the adversary. The adversary is the devil, right? He's mentioned several times to Satan. He's the adversary of the children of Israel. So Haman is that evil. He is that trouble in this, in this portion of Scripture. The question is, are, how are you or will you be ready to respond when those things come up in your life? It's easy that when circumstances work themselves out to be like, hey, you become, you know, the, the queen of Persia, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, all right, cool. I, I'm good. We're good in that, we're in that spot. It's another thing when, oh, wait, my people, my family, and everybody else might just be annihilated, okay? Um, and that's where Esther is being faced here. And um, if you see up until now, um, so I said just so that up until now worked out well for Esther. And um, you need to realize that God puts you there. So not realize that God is in trouble, but realize that God has put you in a circumstance for a particular purpose or reason. Jeremiah says that he is, he is called us to give us an expected end, okay? There is a purpose, okay, to God, where you are, whether it is on the mountaintop or in the valley, God has a purpose for you in that circumstance. And we're going to see some things that Esther does that hopefully teaches us how we should be ready to respond. Um, one of the things that she does is she heeds good counsel, Esther chapter 4 and verse 13. And this is a, a powerful um, passage of scripture here that we're going to visit back a couple of times. Then Mordecai commanded, and Mordecai is um, Esther's cousin. Uh, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. So Mordecai is saying, hey, Esther, don't think that you're going you're gonna to escape you know, you're going to be free of this evil that's about to come on us. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there be an enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth where, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then, then Esther bade them return. Mordecai this answer, before we get into the answer, that you are in a circumstance, whatever circumstance it is, whether it's good, whether it's bad, you are in a place that God wants you to be at a particular time, at a particular place. God has you there for a reason. And you need to realize that that's the case, and you need to find out what that reason is. Amen. You need to find out what that purpose is. Hey, if God has put you in a church, okay, and whether it's a, you're a deacon, whether it's your musician, a teacher, or whether you're just in the pew, hey, find out what, why God wants you there. Why are you there? What does God want you to do? Whether, or your job. What does God want you to be? Are you, are you, are you in the way? As, as my brother, uh, as pastor said about a month ago, he, he was uh, uh, talking about that servant in, in Genesis that was looking for that wife for, for Isaac. Are you in the way? Are you in the spirit? Like, is the spirit, are you guys communing? Are you guys working that thing out and finding out why am I here? Are we asking that question? <clears throat> 
We've got to realize that also God is working everything out for good. Um, in Romans chapter 8, we know that. I mean, that's a familiar verse. <clears throat> he works out all things together for good. Um, let's go to Esther chapter 6, uh, in verse one th- verses 1 through 3. And we're going to see that, again, God is he's in control. He's working things out. On that night... On that night, could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai, the king of the, that told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Harazers. And to go back into the, there's a lot of things going on, but so so the king, God, I wonder how this happened. This must have been a coincidence that the king lost sleep. He couldn't sleep for whatever reason, and. Um, and what, what ends up happening is, you know, the people say, if you can't sleep, you know, read a book. Well, that's what the king basically does. He has somebody bring out the Chronicles, you know, you think about the most boring thing, the Chronicles of, you know, whatever. I mean, that's what the king does. He says, well, read, read the Chronicles before me. And so as this the servant is reading the Chronicles before him, he's reminded of a story that, um, that Mordecai, Esther's cousin, um, basically saved the king's life Amen. from two assassins. Right. And it was written down, but people forgot about it. People just forgot about it. And it's amazing that, you know what? Wow. So, wait, hang on. Let's put this in into perspective. Haman, who doesn't know about, you know, all these little details. He's, Haman basically brings this evil upon the Jewish people, okay? He brings this, all this evil. Now, if Vashti's still queen, the way I read that is there's a pretty good chance that the Jewish people are going to get annihilated. But that does not the, that's not the case. God worked it out that Esther became queen, right? If, if uh, uh, the king here, Hazarus, you know, he's not falling asleep here, he's, gonna realize, he's not going to realize that, hey, Mordecai, oh, he's, he's a pretty good dude. We need, to, we need to honor that guy. And that's what ends up happening. He honors him. And through the honor, honoring Mordecai, uh, the circumstance works out in that, well, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to listen to Mordecai. I'm not going to listen to Haman. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to Esther. I'm going to listen to what she's got to say, not to Haman. And it works out in, 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 in uh, the Jewish people's favor. It works out in the Israelites' favor. Um, and so he remembers Mordecai in verse, um, verse 3. And so going back to, I want to go back to also to Esther chapter 3. And I want to go back to the response. We skipped over that. And uh, I'm giving you like a really high-level summary, and there's a lot of details, a lot of connected tissue, and there's a lot of circumstances that are happening. Within, so you have to study it out yourself, because it's beautiful. So I'm just highlighting certain things here. But I want to I also focus in on the response, right? We said that he, she was ready to respond, right? She got good counsel, okay? She listened to Mordecai, and, you know, she realized, she had to realize that God was working everything out for her good, all right? And um, it says in, in verse 16 of chapter 3, oh, chapter 4, sorry. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, uh, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And the reason I say that she knew that God was working everything out, the reason I say that she, you know, she was ready to respond is that response that she gave right there. She said... If I perish, I perish. She was going to break the law of, of, the, king, of the king of Persia, go in onto him, which is basically um, Vashti did the opposite. She didn't do it when, when he was told, she was told to do it. And she got you know, exiled pretty much. Um, and, and Esther is doing, she's committing, committing a, a crime, essentially. And yet she's saying, if I perish, I perish. Hey, you know what? She's had, she had a peace that passes all understanding. Something that we have as, as Christians, as believers, right, and having that salvation, having a relationship with God, we have a peace, or we should have a peace that passes all understanding. Esther had that even at this time. If I perish, I perish. And what, what, some of the, what are some of the other things that she does? So she's, she's fasting there. She says, let there be a fast. Well, and what goes with fasting is, is prayer, right? And we know if we go to Philippians chapter 4, going together with that peace going together with that piece is that Philippians chapter 4 tells us that the key to that is prayer, and not only just praying, but the type of praying. Philippians chapter 4. In uh, verse 6, it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, Esther didn't know Jesus Christ. Uh, she didn't have some foresight of knowing where the cross was going to be. She, she didn't understand that, but she had some peace. She must have had, and I don't know where the scriptures was, you know, there's some debate on, you know, who had the scriptures during that time, you know, and who had access to it. But she knew something about the word of God, right? And what does the book of Psalms say that, you know, great peace have they that love thy law, right? Nothing shall offend them, right? She knew some things about the word of God that gave her some peace. But more than that, in Philippians 4, I think there's another key to this. Um, in that in the, in the circumstance, you know what's happening in verse 4 and verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, be careful for nothing, and in everything but in prayer and supplication with, with thanksgiving, and there's a, there's a key, there's, there's something to, to thanksgiving Amen. and to realizing that not just, you know, you're in a circumstance, and look, I'm not saying you have to be uh, uh, sadistic and like, you know, thank you, God, for like, you know, putting me through this terrible turmoil. I, I just, uh, just, I'm not talking about something twisted like that. I'm talking about like, you know, remembering and thanking God for what he has done in your life. And you know what, despite the circumstances, you can still be thankful to him for all the things that he's done for you, you know? And, and you know, there's so much psychology to, thank, to thankfulness or gratitude. Um, and not to get too, too secular here, but, you know, there's science. I mean, we're talking about sci- things that are actually true science, things that will actually, um, you know, support the things of God. It's not, they're not at, at odds with each other. Um, and so, you know, they say that, you know, thankfulness and gratitude and the, the things, the benefits of those things, and even the human body, I mean, it, you get a steadier health rate, uh, uh, um, resting rate. You know, you don't have stress as much as in your life. You don't, you're talking about that great peace, right? What, isn't that what peace does? Peace brings those things, but you're not in agita all the time. You're not anxious all the time, right? It's not being careless, but it's just like trusting like, God, you got this. You got this. And, um, you know, and, and they say the best, the best way you get gratitude, I was listening to a podcast this past week, uh, the best way to, to get that feeling of gratitude to experience those benefits is um, when you experience it within a story. Isn't that interesting? A story, a narrative, right? Because our, our brains connect with stories and narratives on a much more intimate level. And uh, rather than just, you know, counting down a list, you know, count your blessings, you know, that's not a bad thing to do. But, you know, there's something when you associate all those blessings within a, a narrative and a story. And, you know, again, we have the word of God, which is his story to us. So remember things that, that what God has done for us. Think of a story. Think of a passage like Esther. Like, wow, God, you worked out so much great, so many great things, but in, in, just in her life, and you didn't even mention yourself at all. But we can see your hand, and that you worked out all these circumstances that no one could explain, no one could coincidentally design or put it all together. But you did it, regardless. You did it. Go to Isaiah chapter twenty-six. Isaiah chapter twenty-six, and we're start landing the plane soon. In verse 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust thee in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Amen. You know, in, in that, in that uh, experiment, um, talking about the story, um, you know, a story was being told to a bunch of different people. Different places, different times of the day, um, you know, just all kinds of variables. But the only constant was basically that the story was being told. And it was discovered that everyone who heard that story had the same experience. They all felt this, they all had, all of their heart rates were aligned. They were all in the same rhythm. They were all in the same pattern. And that's amazing to me because, you know, it's, it's so how much, how much, how powerful a story and how, what better a story of a king from heaven who came down and did, and, and died on a cross that we belonged on suffered a death that we should have suffered, went to a hell that we should have went to, and then gave us the opportunity to get in on that, to get saved, to get eternal life, right? An everlasting, an everlasting life that, that nothing, and there's nothing that you can get out of that if you accepted that. There's nothing you could do to get you out of the love of Christ. You're in that thing. You're in the body of Christ. How amazing is that? That's, that's the best story that's ever been told. And you know, that's what kind of what we're doing every, day, every week at a church, right? We're going through that same story. That's why we're having this Lord's Supper, right? We're trying to remember, right, that story 
so it doesn't get old. And remind yourself of that, that sacrifice that was made for you. And now that you have that peace with God, you can have peace in the circumstance. You can have that peace that passes all understanding. You know, just for being mindful and thankful and remembering the things that, um, that God has done for us. And, you know, I, and I think Esther had that. I, I think there's no way that you can come out and say, if I perish, I perish. You know, she didn't have, you know, the, the eternal security or the knowledge or like, the, she didn't have all that. But yet she's able to say that like, oh, well, you know what? If, if, I, if, I, if I die, I die. Well, she knew something about God, man, maybe even more than we do, because we have a lot more than what she did living in that time, you know? And so um, just to recap, and I'll give it over to uh, my brother, um, just to recap, God is in control no matter what circumstance you're in. And don't forget that he's the one in control. He controls everything or nothing. All right? Remember that, you know what? No matter how high you are on that mountaintop or how low in the valley, guess what? That adversary is, he's, he's lurking. He's looking. You need to be on guard. You need to remember that God is, God is going to work things out, but you got to put your trust there. Don't forget about him. You better be praising him on the mountaintop as well as in the valley. And when those things come up, know how to respond. Know how to respond and make a decision and realize that God has put you in such a place at a certain time for a time as this. And when God puts that thing and that threshold across your floor, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And uh, that's all I've got. So thank you for your kind attention. I hope that was a blessing to you. I get to be bad cop. <laughs> if you open your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Should be a familiar passage for us at this time for this service. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I ask you to leave something there. We're going to do a lot of flipping in a short amount of time, but we're going to be coming back to this portion pretty often. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm just going to open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the space, Father God. We thank you for always being in control, Lord. Father God, I just ask you to even be in control now. Father God, may you guide my lips. Lord, may you give unction, Father God, uh, feed your people. I pray that you might strengthen us, Lord. Help us to be better for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is giving the Corinthian church the ordinance that we're going to take part of today, the Lord's table. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse number 23. <clears throat> for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord, the same night in which he was betrayed, keep note of that, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And normally we stop right there. But the thought keeps going. Wherefore, verse 27, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Amen. You see, those are the only two spots in your Bible right there where that word is mentioned, unworthily. And what I want to talk to you about today is what those two things mean, because he's pointing those things at two, diff- two different people, two different categories, and uh, that we might not partake of this table unworthily today. Amen? Because he's worthy that we don't take it unworthily. So let's turn... Uh, Take, take note just real quick. You can turn your Bible to Luke 22 with me. Take note, though, that Paul, when he's referring to this, he says, in the same night which he was betrayed. And notice that the first time in verse 27, when he says, wherefore, whosoever shall, drink, uh, shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he's, this, this whole table that we come from, that we do, it goes back to what the Lord did the night before he was crucified, right? The night, the, 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 uh, the Lord, what we call the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Let's go, let me just go to Luke, <laughs> where he keeps talking. Luke 22, Luke 22. 
because there was somebody at that table that partook of that table unworthily. Luke 22, Luke 22, verse number 14. 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have a desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will drink, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread. Right? This is the same as what we're getting for where Paul got from. Right. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Now we know who did that thing. We know who betrayed the Lord. Judas Iscariot. Nobody else did. And uh, he was sitting right there. He was right there. He was partaking. If you read through the Gospels, he was there for so many things, Judas. And he partook of the table. I, if you read John 13, it looks like he was there and Jesus washed his feet right before he went out to betray him. Wild stuff, man. Turn with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Judas partook of that table unworthily. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 1. Matthew 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests, and now this is the next morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they bound him, there goes the body, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, When he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, because he didn't repent to God, but he repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. That's the last time that, that phrase is mentioned, the innocent blood, because Jesus Christ is the innocent blood. He was innocent. He was guiltless. He was the spotless lamb of God. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that religious hypocrites. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. What do we read in 1 Corinthians? If you partake of this table unworthily, you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So what made Judas different than the rest of the disciples? Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. It's pretty simple. You partake unworthily of this table, number one, if you're not in the family. And Judas was not in the family. Judas was not in the family. John chapter 6, you know what's interesting? John chapter 6, Jesus Christ just got through telling a bunch of people, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to have eternal life. Because he was messing with them a little bit because they didn't really want to believe they wanted to see signs. They wanted to see all this. He tried to show them, like, no, it's not about the flesh. But you know what? Sometimes when you, you, you argue with God, you want to see, oh, but, you know, I want it my way. God says, okay, have it your way. And he'll give you enough rope to hang yourself, almost, because uh, you didn't want to have it the way that he said it, was, it should be. You know, it's not about the flesh. Listen, we'll get to that. John chapter 6, verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, what he had said, right, said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Right there, he gives the answer. He gives the answer to them right there. It's not about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. It's the spirit that's going to give you life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now watch verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. That was the difference. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of the father. John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? 
Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Simon Peter got it. Amen. Glory to God. He understood. It's the words. It's your spirit. That's what's going to give us eternal life, not the flesh. And look at this. Then, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We believe. You know what? He was speaking for the 12, but not everybody believed in that 12. Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? Didn't he just say in 64, there are some that believe not? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he that should betray him, being one of the 12. So, as I was saying before, uh, you partake of this table unworthily. One simple reason, you don't believe Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That's the difference between you going to heaven and you going to hell. It's not, your sin will, will carry you and take you down to hell. But you know what's really going to take you to hell? Unbelief. That's as simple as God has made it. Unbelief. We believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But I don't think Judas really believed. That's why he always referred to Jesus as master and not Lord. Because only by the Holy Spirit can somebody call him the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. So what do you got to do so, so we can partake of this table worthily? Number one. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It's pretty simple. You got to be a part of the family. Amen? Amen. I'm a part of the family. Amen? This is probably one of the the best verses in the Bible. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, because that's what you got to do, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the difference. Which were born, oh, you'd have to have a new birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You have to have your second birth. You have to be born again. You got to get out of the family of Satan. You got to get out of the house of Adam. You got to get into the house of Christ. As in Adam all die, so as in Christ all shall be made alive. That's what you need. You need to believe. And by believing in his name, you're born again. It's that simple, right? I hope you're a part of that. I hope you're in the family. Then you could partake of this table. But if you're not in the family of God, if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no part of this table. You're as guilty as, the, as, as Judas Iscariot, who went to his own place. Anyway, uh, Romans chapter 8. Not only are you born again... Not only are you born again, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, if you receive Jesus Christ, if you believe on his name, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received, I hope you received Jesus, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of Adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God has adopted you into his family, and that's why you get to sit at his table. That's his table today. This is the king's table. I'm getting ahead of myself. So now, let me show you a picture of this. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'll rush through it. I'm trying my best to go quick. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want you to get this, because this is the most important point. You can't take, partake of this table worthily if you're not in the family of God. But if you believed on Jesus Christ... You have been adopted into his family. Now we see a picture of this in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. And David said, is there yet any... Sorry, I'll wait for the pages to stop flipping. I want you to see this. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul? That was David's enemy, by the way. That was the one that tried to kill David. And, and you know, even though David was the Lord's anointed, and David let God, you know, talk about circumstance, handle that. He didn't take it upon himself to kill, to, to kill Saul. But, you know, the Lord dealt with him as he, as he will the Antichrist and set up his king, his righteous king, that I may show the kindness of of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. You see that? The, the grandson of Saul, right? The son, I mean, right? The, he's in the same house. The son of the enemy 
David's like, is there anybody in that house that I can show some kindness to? Isn't that amazing that the God, the king, you know you were at enmity with God, right? Before you were saved. You had sin which offended God. And your sin offends God. And you know what God says? You're my enemy. But by the cross, the enmity is slain now. Now you can come unto him. So now, verse 4, and the king said unto him, where is he? You know, God knows where you are, though. And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, just like Jesus Christ sent his son to get you out. Right. Out of the out of the out of the enemy's house. Right. I mean, Lodabar was it means no pasture, no word. Yeah, we were we were like and we're going to see we're like we were like um, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth here without God, without hope in the world. You know, because we're Gentiles, I mean, half of me, maybe not my dad and Paula, but without God, without uh, uh, strangers from the covenants of promise, without God, without hope in the world. And you know what? The king sent his son to right where you were, to pull you out of that house and to put you into his house. Now, when Mephibosheth, so the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, and he answered, behold, thy servant, because Mephibosheth thought, oh, here it comes my reckoning day. Time to get my head cut off. And, you know, he's going he's to wipe out the rest of the house so that no one else ever rises up to defy the King David. But you know what, that, you know what he found in his sight? He found grace. Yeah. Something that he did not deserve, man. I mean, you read it. And David said unto him, fear not. That's a phrase you want to trace out throughout your Bible. Amen. Fear not. The beautiful, beautiful phrase. Fear not, God says. Fear not. That's what he said to John when, when, John, when John sees him in his glory. He falls at his, at his feet as a dead man. He, he puts his right hand upon him. He says, fear not, John. Fear not. And David said, fear not, for I will surely, surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of, thy, of Saul thy father. They look, you get an inheritance too. Oh my gosh. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He lets you come and eat at his table. Eat of his bread. And he bowed himself and said, what is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? Dead like we were, dead in trespasses and sins before a righteous and holy God. A dog because we're the Gentiles, right? Not fit, not a part of the sheep, the, uh, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel that Jesus Christ was originally sent to. But he lets us come in anyway. He lets us sit at his table as kings, as king's sons. Uh, read, take it up in um, verse 11. Then, Ziba, then said Ziba unto the king, uh, According to, all that the, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Amen. And if you're, if you're a child of God, you're a king's son today. Amen. Don't get over that. You know, the world just wants you to make you think that you're nothing, that you're just another number. But to God, you're everything. He left the bowels of heaven for this. He left glory. He left worship so that he can have a bunch of dirt balls become his sons. That's an amazing thing. I can sit at his table anytime I want. We can sit at his table if you're a son. Otherwise, you're partaking unworthily. So verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet, you know, because he couldn't stand on his own. (laughs) But, you know, that, that table, that drape of that table just covered what he, you know, that unrighteousness where he couldn't stand before a holy and righteous king. And like we couldn't stand before a holy and righteous God. That just, that, that table, that, that cloth just covers over it. You don't have to worry about being lame on your feet anymore. You can stand because of Jesus Christ now in God's presence. Amen, amen, amen. So, uh, back to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. You partake unworthily, number one, if you're not a part of the family. Number two. Number two. Let's read verse 28 and 29. See that word, but? That's an important word. Because now he's changing his direction. But, right, he just finished in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about someone being guilty of the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're saved, you're not guilty of the blood and body of Jesus Christ anymore. No matter what anybody tries to tell you, (laughs) your sins are forgiven. Amen? (laughs) Your sins are forgiven. Now verse 28, but, and he's changing his direction here, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You partake unworthily, number two, if you're coming to the table dirty. 
How many, how many people looked at a mirror this morning before they came to church? Right by, by a raise of hands. Yeah, I could tell which one of you haven't, don't worry. And uh, you wouldn't come to church without, you know, examining yourself a little bit maybe, right? Make sure, you know, you brush your teeth, you didn't have any spinach left over in your tooth from last night, you didn't have any schmutz on your face, you know, maybe you washed your hands a little bit extra, because, you know, put on your Sunday best. You, would, you come to church, you examine yourself in the mirror, but are you examining yourself in the mirror of God's word before you come? Let's go to uh, Exodus 25, Exodus 25. You know, this is called the Lord's table, right? Mephibosheth got to, keep your, keep your spot in 1 Corinthians 11, but let's go to Exodus 25, Exodus 25. It's the Lord's table, right? See the first time table's mentioned in your Bible. It's very instructive. Exodus 25 God is giving Moses the instructions to the tabernacle. First piece of furniture he tells him to build is the Ark of the Covenant, right? With the mercy seat. So that's God's place because God always has to come first. That's the first commandment, right? Put the God, put, God always has to come first. But you know the second thing that he tells him to make? A table. Exodus 25, verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and the height thereof. And a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make there unto make thereto a crown of gold round about, and thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. That's the king's table. Amen. That's the table in the sanctuary, right? In the holy place that God where he put his shoe bread on, right? We can read that in verse number thirty. The shoe bread is going to be on there always, a picture of the word of God that's always going to be there continually. You know, six, six pieces of bread and six pieces of bread to represent your 66 bi- uh, books of the Bible, the King James Bible. Amen, amen, amen. That's God that put that together. Uh, but you know what? There was a veil between the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the table of shoe bread with the, uh, the lamp and the uh, altar of incense. Because before, before Jesus Christ sacrifice, you could not get to God. You could not get to God because he was holy. You know what the Old Testament's saying? Stay back. You know what they said, what, what happened to, when, when the children of Israel came onto Mount Sinai? God says, stay back. Stay back, stay back. You know what happened on, when Jesus Christ crucified, gave up the ghost? You know what God did? He rent that veil from the top to bottom because now you can get into God and you can fellowship with the Holy One of Israel because Jesus Christ made the way for you. What a God! What a God! And now you know what he says? Come in, at, sit at my table. You know, Mephibosheth must have, you know, King David's table must have been nice, but I don't think it was overlaid with pure gold. I don't think there was a crown about it. That's a pure table. You know what? And the, the Levites had to sprinkle some, you know, fancy special uh, oil and other stuff on it to sanctify that stuff and make it holy. And anybody who touched that would be holy. You can't approach a holy God with sin on you with the stench of this world on you. You can't. God doesn't fellowship with sin. Now, you're washing the blood of Jesus Christ, but you know what? You need to keep washing up in the word, in the, in the, in the word of God because this world's going to stick to you. Turn to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. You know, God provided a way for the Levites to wash up, just like he provided for us to wash up. Exodus chapter 30, the last piece of furniture God instructs Moses to make is a laver made out of brass. A laver, if people don't know, it's kind of like a bird bath. It's the best way I can expl- explain it, right? A bird bath, men, men like a big bird bath that they fill with water, right? Exodus chapter 30, uh, verse 17. Uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Didn't it say many of you are sickly and weak and some of you sleep? I mean, that's sleep in the Bible in, in 1 Corinthians 11. Sleep in the Bible refers to a Christian dying. I wonder because they were partaking unworthily. I don't know. Maybe a coincidence. They died not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall, so, shall, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. 
God provided a, a way for, the, for the, the Levites, the priests, to wash up, right? And, and you'll see later on, you can see later on in the book, and I think chapter 35, when they're putting the thing together, you know what they take? They take the brass of, of the women's looking glasses. So the things that the women would look at each other, they use that specifically. I mean, come on, look, the Bible's an amazing book. To build that brass labor so that when you would wash, you know what you would see? You would see a reflection, and you know what happens when you come to God's word? Because didn't Jesus Christ say in John 15, now are ye clean through the word that I speak unto you? When you come to God's word, you know what you can do? You can wash up. And you can see all the faults that you are. You're like, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know what? I got I to gotta clean that up, man. I, I, you know what? You'll start to become more and more like Jesus Christ the more you wash in that, in that book. You see that? You see that right there? It says in verse number, uh, I believe number 20. Uh, that they shall, uh, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, so that when they would come to do the tabernacle, when they would come to fellowship with God, they shall wash with water. So whether it be fellowshipping with God, that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister, or whether in ministry, you know what you need? You need to wash up in this book. You know what me and Mark had to do a lot probably for the past couple of weeks when we, we had to pray, we had to wash ourselves in the word of God because man, I don't want to minister to you with filth on me because God won't honor that. That's the God's honest truth. And if you want to have fellowship with a holy, righteous God, you got to wash up. Doesn't it say in the book of James, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there because I don't know it off the top of my head. James, uh, verse number, chapter one, verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Don't be that. Don't look into God's word and, and, and forget what he's trying to tell you, what he wants, what he's pointing out to you to fix up so that you can be more like his son. For he beholdeth himself. Uh, and go this way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he be not for, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And God will bless you if you come clean, come clean to the word of, uh, through the word of God. All right. Um, almost done, almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to finish on time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know why some of us won't get clean? Why some of us want to examine ourselves. And examinations are pretty, you're, you're getting close, right? To those things that uh, you're, you're looking really closely at yourself. You know why some of us won't get clean? Verse number 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You haven't, let me see the definition of, dis, of discern. To see or understand the difference, or to make distinction. You haven't seen what God's body, why the Lord's body is different. You haven't seen what God has put together, why this is different than anything else out there. Amen. That's why you won't get clean. And I hope you will get clean, because if you can see why his body was broken, so that we might be made one, well, that's an amazing thing. That's why he died, so that we can have this. You realize that there's only two eternal things on the planet Earth? The word of God and the souls of men and women? Amen. Everything else is fire, burnt, is gone. Read Revelation. It's going to, read Second Peter. It's going to burn up. The, first, the, the, the elements are going to burn away. Whatever you're holding on to. Man, I mean, I hope the last three years has, has, can show you it's not worth holding on to it. Because in a moment, everything can change. Look what happened in Ukraine. <laughs> you think that they woke up that one morning and all of a sudden the bombs started dropping? You don't think that something like that could happen? I'm sorry, but like, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm saying, that's just the God's honest truth. But when it gets worse, you know what you can do? You can look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, let's see. You know, that table in the Old Testament, I'm finishing here. That table in the Old Testament had four rings, two on each side. And it had staves laid with gold to go through those things so they could bear it, they could bear it up. It says in... Uh, Exodus 37, I'll read it, you don't have to go there. Exodus 37, 15, and he made the staves of shittim wood and overlaid them with gold to bear the table. And he made the vessels which were upon the table, his dishes and his spoons and his bowls and his covers to cover with all of pure gold. Those sat on top of the table. Aren't we supposed to be vessels, right? 
We're supposed to be vessels unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, 2 Timothy 2.21. That table has a burden to it. <laughs> you know what we have to do? We're going to have to have some strong men, at least two, it, it looked like. I mean, maybe it was four, maybe it was two, but it had to be more than one. Some strong men has to, had to lift that table up, had to lift this fellowship up. And you know what you're going to have to do? And those vessels on top, picture of us, you're going to have to bear some burdens for some other people <laughs> if you want this fellowship to be what God wants it to be because it's God's body. The Lord loves his body. That's why he died for it, for his body. This is his body. We are members in particular, but we're one body. So we're going to have to do what Galatians 6 says, bear you one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's that law? To love one another. What was the last thing? You know what? The most amazing thing. Judas leaves in John 13. You know what? That's when God really starts laying on the truth. The rest of John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are the most beautiful. I can't wait for Pat to get there in the millennium. The most beautiful things that, that Jesus Christ relays to his, the most intimate things, the last words he says before he goes, to, before he goes onto the cross. Uh, and I'm losing my train of thought. Why were they saying that? And you know the first thing he starts with? He says, a new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another, even as, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. That's the purpose of this table. To remember the love that God had for us in breaking his body so that we might be made one body in him. You know, just so you understand, there's nothing holy. I'm going to take one of these. There's nothing holy about this bread. I'll, I'll crumple it up and put it on the floor. I'll clean it up later. I'll, I'll ask John for a mop. There's nothing, I'm not going to pour out the, the juice. There's nothing holy about it. You know what this thing is supposed to do? It's supposed to be a picture. That bread, the body of Christ, right? What do you do? We eat it. It goes in where no one sees it. You receive Christ. He goes in where no one sees him, but he's there in your heart, right? You drink that, you drink that juice. That's the New Testament in your blood. You're enjoining yourself to the New Testament that God has ordained. You know what that goes in? Goes in where no one sees it. It's a picture for the blood that's going to be applied to your soul and the, and the body of Jesus Christ that now indwells in, within you. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that picture. And I hope we, we can clean up our act a little bit, starting with me, man, because you know what God has shown me through all this? I have to love his body. I have to pray more and more for you guys because that's, that's why he died. That's so he could put this together. Amen, amen. Uh, pastor, if you would.